Here's my yearly shout out to all our Latino listeners. This Monday is December 12th, the feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. In 1531, a lady from heaven appeared to a peasant by the name of Juan Diego, just outside Mexico City. She said to him, Know for certain that I am the perfect and perpetual Virgin Mary, mother of the true God, and instructed him to have the bishop build a temple on the site. Juan Diego was not too sure about this, and Mary said to him, Don't be afraid. Am I not here? Am I not your mother? As proof of her apparition, she left an image of herself imprinted miraculously on his tilma. This poor quality cactus cloth should not have lasted 20 years, but shows no sign of decay almost 500 years later, and still defies all scientific explanations of its origin. This single event was the defining one for Catholicism in Mexico and in Latin America. In less than 20 years, some 9 million Mexicans were converted to Christianity. Guadalupe is also the most popular Marian shrine in the world, with an estimated 10 million pilgrims visiting the basilica each year, and it is also the most visited Catholic church in the world next to the Vatican. So, on this coming week, let's celebrate the Church of Latin America, because Latinos have a mother, and she is the mother of God, the lady from heaven, who came to a peasant looking very much like a peasant herself, speaking to him in his native language, and giving him, and his people, hope. Viva la Guadalupana! I'm Deacon Pedro, and this is the Salt and Light Hour. Hello and welcome to an all-new Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and sitting here with me is Danny Torquia. Danny, welcome. Hey, Deacon Pedro. Um, How are you doing? Um, how's, how's, I'm good. I have a little bit of a cold. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, um, but uh, but I'm good. How's your Advent season going with the family? Uh, lots of burning, lots of candles in a very safe environment. <laughs> Always super, super parental supervision, uh, but uh, enjoying lo- lots of varied prayers. And a little bit more music in the house because the oh, kids are nice. playing piano and then the flute recorder and then the uh, electric guitar. So it's a lot of fun. Oh, wow. Okay. That that could be fun or it could be just like cacophony. <laughs> noisy. noisy. Um, Danny, Jillian's going to be here today. I nice. think she's going to talk about, I was not sure, maybe she has an Advent lesson, but I the rumor is that she's going to talk about something about kids taking risks. So Ooh, I think you, I... you would appreciate that having a... Yeah, they, they tend to take a lot of risks, actually. Is this going to be a scary episode? Uh, I don't know. You're going to have to stay tuned and listen to that. So that's Jillian with yeah. what I learned from my kids in about five minutes. And then, Danny, we're back with, with you, Rearing rearing Rebels. What are we talking yes. about today? Today we're talking about normalization versus right. and denormalization and how I've seen it in my life working in PR okay. um, for different lobby groups or industry association groups. Um, and I think we'll talk about how that applies to us with respect to human sexuality or Catholic living. Okay, good. So that's uh, Rearing Rebels in about 15 minutes with Danny Torquia. We're going to talk about normalization. If you don't know what that is, stick around and you're going to find out in about 15 minutes. And then um, I don't think I need to ask you this question because I think that you know and you agree that Christ 
is really present in the Eucharist. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. But you know, you want to go to mass. Well, but even among Catholics, I think that the, uh, do you remember the, the, yes. uh, the uh, survey from a couple years ago that, you know, a lot of Catholics still either they don't get it or they're not quite sure what the church teaches. It's a hard right. thing to understand. Um, there's a new book called um, for real Christ's presence in the Eucharist. It's written by Deacon Dennis Lambert. And he explains that the teaching has never changed since mm-hmm. Jesus first brought it up 2,000 years ago. Um, and what I really like about the book is that he um, explains or he gives us tips on how to explain it to other people. Excellent. And so we're going to be speaking with Deacon Dennis Lambert uh, in our second half hour. Uh, and we're going to learn what the church teaches, um, what evidence there is. To, mm-hmm, to show that, that what the church teaches is true, and then also how easily to explain it to others. So that's in about 25 minutes. Um, and then at the end of the show, you might not remember, Danny, but about uh, four years ago, three years ago, we uh, met a singer-songwriter, uh, Ryan Tremblay. Mm-hmm. Um, I, actually, I actually met Ryan in World Youth Day in Krakow in 2016. Oh. Um, and then I saw him again in Panama at World Youth Day 2019. It's like we would connect at every World Youth Day. And then okay. we, featured, we featured him on this program in March 2019. Um, and, uh, I mean, he's, he's writing music like all songwriters. COVID was, was yes. difficult, but also a creative time. Um, but he and his wife, Elizabeth, have triplets. They have three boys. Wow, uh, what a tri- story. Triplet boys. Um, and they've just all moved to Nashville from uh, Rhode Island. And so uh, he's been putting out some new singles. So it's a good, I don't know, good excuse to uh, catch up with Ryan Tremblay. Tis the season for some extra singing. The season for semester singing. And he's got lots of singing. So uh, we're going to talk to Ryan Tremblay at the end of the program in about 45 minutes. And uh, as you know, Danny, if people are not going to listen to the whole program, or they can't, they can always go to our website, somedia.org, and they can podcast the show. They can also get the show wherever uh, wherever you get your podcasts. So uh, it is the season when we play more music, so let's start with a song. Um, here's Ryan Tremblay, and because he just moved to Nashville, we're going to start with a song that he wrote called Headed to Nashville. Beautiful. Music City is calling my name. I've gotta go, gotta make a change Live the dream, do the best that I can Cause now's my time to be a man Headed to Nashville, I'm ready to go I'm headed to Nashville, gotta put on a show Headed to Nashville, I'm ready to sing I'm headed to Nashville, bring all I can bring From little
That was Ryan Tremblay with his new single, Headed to Nashville. And we're going to be speaking with Ryan Tremblay in about 40 minutes, so I hope that you can stick around for that. And now it's time for... What I Learned From My Kids with Jillian Cantor. Jillian, welcome. Good to see Thank you. Thank you so much. How are you doing? How's I'm, your Advent going? Advent is going. There's a lot of patient waiting, which I suppose mm-hmm. is a very good Advent activity. Yes. And There's not a lot of patients in my house of six children, so let me know how that's going for you. Well, yes, and maybe it's good to have six children during Advent. I don't know. Um, but uh, have you learned anything? Uh, have you learned anything about waiting? This month? Not necessarily waiting. I think the lesson we're going to enter in today is more about risks, taking okay. risks. How do we feel about those risks? Um, because just by nature, we are not a family of risk takers. We're pretty cautious. We like to play it safe. Yeah. Um, in fact, recently uh, we had parent-teacher interviews um, and during which Clara's teacher encouraged her. Clara was present. It's more like a student-led conference. So the teacher was encouraging Clara to be more of a risk taker, be bold in speaking up in class, explore new ideas, so, excuse me, show some confidence in her leadership. And as she was giving this speech to her, I was kind of laughing. And I said to the teacher, that sounds like a speech that you could offer to all of the cantors. And she, who has taught other of our children, she said, I know. (laughs) So, but even to the grownups, anyway. So knowing that about us, it was a bit of a surprise and out of character that Annie would recently be the first of the cantor children to break a bone. My money was on Leo. I really thought he was going to be the first kid with with a broken bone, but here it was, um, sweet little Annie. She was definitely taking a physical risk when she jumped from the 10th step of our stairs onto a pile of beanbags, I guess in the comfort of her own home. um, She felt that that risk was okay. She was confident that she would be fine. I mean, how many times do I hear this when I tell the kids, are you sure you should be doing that? Don't do that. I'll be fine. Nothing's going to happen. I'm not going to hurt myself. But kids, as I try to explain, that's why it's called an accident. It happens accidentally. <laughs> but they, it's just not a lesson. I mean, she knows it now, but <laughs> beforehand. So here we are feeling a little bit humbled and foolish about this 
accident. Like we're a, a cautionary tale for something that doesn't really require a cautionary tale. Should you jump from the 10th step? No, you just never should. And I was really beating myself up because I saw the activity happening and I didn't really do anything to stop it. Right. Until obviously after it was too late. So then post her going to the doctor and finding it was wrong and getting her splint. And I was sharing this information with my siblings. My brother reminded me, like, I think I know some grownups who used to do that. <gasps> and then I remembered, oh yeah, we did do that. And we didn't have bean bags. We were just jumping from those 10 steps onto concrete floor with the thinnest little layer of carpet. <laughs> so, so as kids, you know, we may not be risk-taking in the classroom, like Clara's teacher is encouraging to do, but we do take those physical risks because we're trying to figure out like, okay, what's safe or what's not? Mm -hmm. and when is it okay to take this risk? Either that or we're just being stupid. But there <laughs> as, as young people, as kids, we do feel maybe a bit invincible, braver mm -hmm. in our physical risk-taking. So as all of this is going on around me and as I'm having these thoughts, I came across this quote from Pope Francis in doing some reading. And he said, mission is key to ministry. A church that does not go out of itself sooner or later sickens from the stale air of closed rooms. And he goes on to say that sometimes the church risks running into accidents, but I prefer a thousand times over a church of accidents than a sick church. Yes. And I just, those words really stuck out <laughs> like an, a church yeah. of accidents. Oh, well, hey, we're the Cantor household of accidents right now. But he's telling us right there to be risk takers. Our church relies on it yeah. and our faith is built on it. We need yeah. to be risk takers. Now, is the Pope advocating for broken bones in my household? Certainly not. There, um, These risks that he's talking about are more spiritual mm -hmm. than physical. But this applies to us too. I mean, we're not risk takers in any venue, in any avenue. We're just, we don't want to put ourselves out there. But it's literally our mission. Our mission is to be risk takers, to follow the gospel, to share with others, to take our cues from the original apostles. All of that, all that they were doing, that's risky business. Yeah. Now, again, at the same time, there's a lot of this theme is like pretty prevalent in my house right now. So everywhere I turn, I'm like, gosh, okay, God, I get it. But I, <laughs> I get what you're trying to tell us, but I really don't know why. So Henry is preparing for confirmation. And in doing so, we're working, we're making our way through a workbook. I'm doing it with both Joseph and Henry. Joe had his confirmation during the pandemic. So his, I guess his preparation wasn't as intense. So we're just using this opportunity to kind of re-prepare him. <laughs> but one of the questions in this workbook was what would you do with courage? If you could be more courageous, what would you do with that? And as the boys thought over their answers, I immediately blurted out, oh, I would tell people about Jesus. If I was brave, if I was confident, that's what I would do. Just again, referring back to that, the Pope's quote, like that's our job. Our mission is to share the gospels. And am I doing that? Am I taking that risk? I can most definitely say I'm playing it pretty safe. I'm just hoping like just from our presence, just from our being who we are, that people are going to see, you know, they'll, they'll understand maybe there's something different about us or like there's, mm -hmm. they might ask the questions and that I don't have to be the one to literally put myself out there that I I'm happy to answer questions. I'm happy to, you know, direct you in a certain way, but I don't want to be the one to, to voice that yeah. even with my own family, my parents and my siblings, would I be the one to speak out about that? No, I certainly wouldn't. It's, I'm too afraid, but here we are in all those scenarios. We're hearing and learning about risks. We're being encouraged by our teachers. We're hearing quotes from the Pope that our confirmation prep book is, is, 
pushing us in the direction of what would you do with courage? And so, so what are we going to do as canters? Are we going to be able to take those risks? And maybe that's our theme for 2023. Maybe that's what we need to pray about and work on mm-hmm. as a family is just being able to be brave. I mean, don't break any more arms. We don't want those kinds of risks, but what are we going to do? Risk ourselves, put ourselves out there for Jesus. How are we going to live our mission? Um, just take those risks, be those people. What can mm-hmm. we do? I'll take your advice. You can tell me. <laughs> Amen. No, I think that, that you're right, that broken bones could happen, but we don't try to get broken bones. But if that's the <laughs> result, and that's what the Pope means, right? We go and do what we need to do. And if that means that we get bruised or, or, mm-hmm. or injured, well, then that's what we do. Um, yeah. That's good advice, Jillian. Um and good advice you you said for 2023 but i'm thinking maybe even now during advent as right. we yeah. as we prepare ourselves for christmas what does mm-hmm. that mean to to be a little bit of more risk takers um, yeah that's interesting because usually when we enter into advent we're like okay we'll have a peaceful advent i hope yeah. your advent is calm and quiet you don't usually think no. hope you have a an advent full of risks yes <laughs> doesn't advent sound full so of risks. <laughs> yeah good and i hope annie's feeling better Yes, every day she's getting a little bit more used to this heavy splint and it's a bit of an inconvenience, obviously, but a little strong. we're all learning a lesson here. So yeah, That's thanks. Good. For, I'll pass on your good wishes to her. <laughs> all right, Jillian, thank you. Um, thank you for that lesson uh, to you and Annie and Joseph and Henry. Um, and uh, we'll see you for Christmas. Yeah, um, okay. enjoy a peaceful, yes. riskful Advent. Advent. Amen. Jillian Cantor, always learning something from her kids. She's the wife of David and the mother of Joseph, Henry, Annie, Clara, Jane, and Leo. I'm Joel Undine with Ascension Music. You're listening to the Salt and Light Hour with Deacon Pedro. I'm Deacon Pedro. If you missed any part of this program or to listen to any interview, again, go to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. All our shows are archived there. And now it's time for... Rearing Rebels with Danny Torquia. Um, that we're going to talk today about normalization. And see, I've heard about normalization. I actually haven't heard too much about denormalization. So wow. this is going to be interesting for me too. So what is what is normalization? Well, you know what? I learned about the topic for the first time when I was working in public relations in a very controversial industry, um, which is tobacco. Oh. And I find now in 2000, this, you know, nowadays in 2022, 2023, that um, tobacco is not so taboo as it used to be right now. There's in Canada and other countries and other states, there's cannabis, mm-hmm. there, there's, there's, and then there's sexual uh, license or sexuality. There's just fewer taboos. Yeah. But back many years ago, I came across this, this, this uh, in a PR uh areas the the use of denormalizing smokers because you know there was a there was a time when we could smoke in nightclubs you'll remember that yeah of course and then and then there was a time where you could could smoke in airplanes i remember that right and then and then they put they push smokers outside or in private rooms at atlanta airport and you had the smoking room right the hyper crazy investment of ventilation that cost 50 grand and then and then they went outside and then they were then they were like 20 meters from the entrance and and then they were seen as pariahs um like you know you're going to kill me because of the secondhand smoke yes and yes this is, very, this is a very serious topic obviously 
Um, but then, of course, there was the debate on on whether people can smoke in their cabins of a truck, right? Can I smoke in my yes. work environment if yep. someone else is coming in? Mm-hmm. And, and I realized that the word denormalize was applied to 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 position in a PR campaign the smoker as ultimately, you know, not welcome, not good. Let's get tobacco out. And that, mm-hmm. I understand that. And I'm all for a free democratic society where you can let lobby governments and work your way. But but I got to thinking, obviously, now as a Catholic raising kids, mm-hmm. thinking about, uh, you know, I've been rearing my kids using the marketing uh, knowledge and the marketing concepts at home. And it's it's kind of fun. It's worked. Yeah. My kids are 14 now. We've been using this for 14 years. Omni-channel marketing, experiential marketing, you know, repetition, now normalization, denormalization. And I, and I want you to know, obviously, the society is working to denormalize orthodox or rigorous or practicing Catholicism, like the traditional, the, the views of a Catholic of Jesus's teachings mm-hmm. are, are really positioned as abnormal, as not healthy, or even sometimes labeled haters. And I, and I want to talk about that. I thought it would be good to discuss it. I have no prescription mm-hmm. per se, but all I want the public and you, Deacon Pedro, to know is that, of course, there's a campaign to denormalize um, certain things about Catholicism, and there's a campaign to normalize uh, other people's behaviors yeah other things that yeah yeah whether yeah. it's say whether it's uh whether it's you know uh same sex uh, attraction whether or it's marriage yeah marriage of course different uh, definitions of marriage and and, and i don't want to say like this is not that new no i think my first point is that we all must normalize love you know like we we all need to normalize jesus's teachings mm-hmm. in our homes I think we start from there because, you know, when you think of denormalize, doesn't it sound aggressive to you? Yeah, it does. Yeah, exactly. So as I raise my kids, I think the last thing I want to do is to denormalize anybody. Yeah. Too many things. Yeah. Too many people. Um, because there's a million ways to sin, right? I mean, I've, I'm a sinner in many ways and I, I don't <laughs> want to sit here and name all my sins. It's an awkward proposition. Yes, but, yes. But I, but I think I want to glorify the t- and drive people to the word of God and which mm. is Jesus. And then they'll figure it out. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, I do. I, and I like that very much, actually. Yeah, because like I, I just met a, a wonderful uh, teacher who had who came from abroad. Who, who, from a country that did not know much about the LGBTQ uh, movement. And so she came to Canada from a foreign country and she had to deal, navigate through the waters of uh, a classroom where there are mm-hmm. very diverse families, mm-hmm. you know, with, with, with the single, with, with two moms, two dads, uh, you know, and different other f- configurations of yes. family. And, and she has her own learning to do, right? But you got to do it with love and you've got to do it. How do you de- how do you converse about that with your children at home, yet showing love towards everybody? Right. So I, I don't know what your thoughts are, but I think that we need to know that there's a campaign against Catholic making us de- to, to, uh, denormalized, but that we don't want to do tit for tat. Like we don't want to react automatically by denormalizing someone else. Right. And I, and that's what I like about that. And I was, what I'm, what I am, what I am thinking is that I, I do see the efforts to normalize certain behaviors, um, on, on, on TV, on social media. Um, I, I am not aware of efforts to denormalize certain things, but maybe that's because I'm, I mean, I work in a Catholic environment. Uh, mm-hmm. maybe I don't, I don't see it. Uh, so, so well, I mean, 
Well, you know, I'm not I'm not advocating for uh, to promote, uh, uh, but I'm encouraging people to drive others towards Christ. To drive yeah, and that's other, and that's know. what I like about what you're saying because um, people are. If anybody wants to denormalize anything about Catholicism or Christianity, um, it's because they don't understand what it is. So. Uh, because we are this or we are that. But what you're proposing is that then we need to normalize the good things that are the true teachings and do it in a way that makes sense so that people can't denormalize it because they won't be able to because it it's good stuff. Does yeah. that make sense? Well, yeah. And, and I mean, we have to um, normalize the fact that you can have a happy marriage for 50 years through ups and downs, yes. going, going to confession, uh, yeah. you know, going to church I, yeah. extremely regularly and, and adoration and being and reading the catechism and doing spiritual reading, yeah. conjugal prayer, uh, grace before every single meal, liturgy, living the liturgy of the church and the, the seasons. So once you point people towards the Eucharist and Christ, they will figure out what is the truth the way yeah. you know the way of life yeah. and and they will figure it out and then they will find joy and those who yeah. live those who live whether they come from a home with two uh, two heterosexual parents or a home with no parents or four moms yeah. or, or or who knows uh, the, the reality is everybody must come to Christ mm-hmm. and so regardless where you come from so let's not judge their starting point but let's also be aware that they're going to try to denormalize us. And by the way, the practical thing for kids, for families, is watch what you consume. Uh, get off the tracks of the commercial-driven culture big time. And, and because we were talking earlier about, you know, you know, what, what our six-year-old kids are, are seeing dry queens um, and are yeah, seen as if it was normal. Yeah, exactly. Normalization of yeah. sexuality at a infant age. Yeah, young age, and that ain't right. Yeah, no. And right. you, you, what, what, what? And again, what I like about what you're saying, and you've already given me. I think that in order to that we have to have that perspective or that attitude of, of I think missionary of of being missional about this, so that if if it's as simple as let's normalize grace before meals. Yeah. You know, when when you're in a restaurant, do you make the sign of the cross and say grace? That's normalizing it, right? Consciously, so that other people see you. Yeah. There's no other reason that you want other people to see you. But what you said about normalizing a long marriage. So I've, my wife and I have been married for 27 years. How often do I say that to other people? Right. And I'm saying it because I want to. You know, I remember my my parents when they've been married for 50 years. They they the, uh, a woman at the bank thought that they mm. were siblings, and my mother's like, "No, he's my husband." And this young woman said, "I have never met a couple that have been married for so long." Mm-hmm. Isn't that isn't that sad? Yeah. So so the more and and that means that we need to be aware that these are the kinds of things that we need to normalize. Danny, we have to leave it there. Okay, um, but Pedro. this has been a great great conversation. Um, it's a topic that I'm passionate about, and I hope that our listeners are too, and that this helps them a little bit to understand kind of what's going on and and how we can uh lead how, i have to sneak in the word lead because it pushes us to lead by how now. we can lead exactly amen thank you amen. danny torquia <laughs> normalization let's normalize danny torquia well no our love our love and our love normalize yeah. love <laughs> danny so it's a daunting challenge, but we can do it. Si se puede. Si se puede. Thank you. Danny Torquia. He's the managing director of Torquia Communications. You can follow him on Twitter at Dan Torquia, and you can learn more 
at his website, dialogueandgrace.com. Coming up in our second half hour, is Jesus really present in the Eucharist? And we reconnect with singer-songwriter Ryan Tremblay. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Anyone who is familiar with the sixth chapter of the Gospel of John knows that the teaching of the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist dates to that time when Jesus first brought it up to his apostles and then sealed it during the Last Supper. It was a hard teaching then, but it has not changed. This is exactly what the Church teaches to this day. Christ is really present in the Eucharist. Deacon Dennis Lambert describes himself as a skeptic, and so he set out to present the evidence to explain how we know that the real presence is real. In his new book, For Real, Christ's Presence in the Eucharist, he also gives tips on how to easily explain it to others. And so to tell us more, I am now joined by Deacon Dennis Lambert. Deacon, welcome back to the Sultanite Hour. Oh, well, thank you for having me, Deacon. It's, it's, it's good. And, and I know uh, you, you, worked, you were working on this book for a long time. I, I know that because you shared it with me. Um, let, let's start at the beginning just to be sure that people are not confused. What exactly does the church teach about the Eucharist? The church teaches that the, in the Eucharist, Christ is truly present, substantially present, body, soul, blood, and divinity. The, the Eucharist does not change, you know, it well it does change from, from simple bread and, and wine into our Lord fully, that not the two elements are, are, are mingled or both present, but that it is, it is, is transformed into our precious and sweet Lord. Right. And, and you said substantially. So it's the substance. That's why we call it transubstantiation. Exactly. And, and I guess if people want to find out really more what exactly that means or how it works, they can get your book. Um, in the book, and, and I, I liked, and I told you this before, I like the book because I like evidence and I sort of like, I, I think you and I have think, think in the same way. So you present a lot of the evidence. And of course, we can't go through everything that you present in the book, but can you tell us briefly how do we know that what you just said that the church teaches, how do we know that it's true? Well, exactly. Well, first and foremost, it is scripturally based. You know, yeah. Jesus, this is exactly what Jesus taught from day one. You mentioned John chapter six, the last supper. These are his teachings. And the amazing thing is, you know, Jesus, it all starts with Jesus. But then again, it doesn't end. I use the analogy of a relay race in my book to try to consolidate, yeah. you know, really, how do we know this is true? I use the image of a relay race because of the consistency and the congruency of, of that race. There are four legs. It starts with Jesus. Mm. What did he teach? He hands that baton, if you will, on to the apostles. What did they teach? What, what do we have in scripture? Is it congruent with what mm -hmm. Jesus taught? They then hand on the baton to the early church fathers, the, 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 the leaders of the church right after the apostles. We have so much of their writings. What did they teach? Mm -hmm. And then finally, leg four is the church of today. Is what we teach congruent and consistent 
with all the other three legs, most importantly, what Jesus taught. And the less than amazing thing, because it's truth, it hasn't changed from, from day one, from the teaching of Jesus. So was that, because you, and again, I said this, you describe yourself as a skeptic. I don't know if you still are, like if that's your oh. personality. <laughs> oh, no, no. You, no. But, I was a skeptic on, the, on this topic. I on this, right. Well, I was going to ask you, so what, what was the one thing that kind of changed you from not being a skeptic on this topic? Well, it, it was kind of reading apologetics on the topic of the yeah. Eucharist, you know, most substantially you say, okay, what is the, what, what the one or two things? I mean, there are, there are a myriad of things, just, just the, the proof and evidence is there for people who need to be intellectually, you know, stimulated by this. Again, I, I envy the people that, that can just approach God with a childlike disposition mm -hmm. and, and just say, yeah, God, that's you. Me, I, I needed to work through reason. And if I had to consolidate, what are some of the key things? I go back to John chapter six and just the teachings of Jesus. It's easy for some people to say that Jesus was speaking symbolically or metaphorically when he said, this is my body, that you must eat my flesh and drink my blood to have life. But he wasn't. And some of the proofs, like one of them to, to kind of give you is when you look at the word eat that he uses, you know, in Greek. The, the earliest Greek manuscripts we have in, the, in, in John chapter 6, the word is represented in two different ways, either as phago or trogon. Fourteen times Jesus uses the word eat in John chapter 6. Ten of those times he uses the word phago for the times trogon. So what's the difference? Well, phago is the, the very plain, simple word, general word for eat. And he applies this to, in anytime he's talking about, about eating anything but his flesh and blood. When he starts talking about his flesh and blood, eating him, so to speak, he switches and uses the word trogon, which translates to eat or gnaw, or excuse me, not eat, but gnaw or chew. So suddenly Jesus is talking about eat, eat, eat. And then when he's talking about eating his flesh, he switches to trogon, chew, unless you chew on my flesh. So there's no mistake in, in my opinion, that Jesus meant what he said in terms of actually eating his flesh and blood, you know, and it's not just a symbol. That's just one of many. Yeah, of course. I know. And for, for me, the one was that had people, had people thought that he was speaking symbolically, then it wouldn't have been a hard teaching. They would have been like, oh yeah, okay, symbolically, I get it. But it's very clear that it was a hard teaching and many people stopped following him exactly. after, he, after he, he, he said that. And then he goes to the apostles and says, are you also going to leave? Right? So that to me means that they really understood what maybe didn't, maybe they didn't really understand, but they understood what he meant. Exactly. That was actually, that'd be my number two example after that teaching that so many of the disciples who had followed him everywhere you know town to town gave up their livelihoods yeah. and everything else suddenly are out on this one teaching and if he wasn't speaking you know truth to power if he was talking symbolically why didn't he simply say wait let me explain this to you yeah let me clarify i don't mean literally right. yeah yeah i know and he right. says it like he says it like six times unless you eat unless you yeah right. um okay so when you were explaining this to others, because the other thing that I liked, I really liked the, about the book, the way you you structured the book, is that, you know, there's the the analogy of the the relay race, but then at the end, I guess all throughout, but particularly at the end, you give us kind of tips on, like a summary, how to how to explain this in a way 
that's kind of easy for other people to grasp and and not everybody is a deacon and not everybody has a theology degree so other than those two examples that you just gave that are scriptural what's maybe one other uh uh other other thing that you've told people that you find it has helped in in helping them understand I, i have a fondness though you know for the early church fathers because there are so many of their writings that that we have so right, you know, right after, you know, the, the apostles, we have the early church father say Ignatius of Antioch, we have his writing mm-hmm. and in writing is, it goes right. It echoes back to, to John's John six and this, and St. Ignatius was a disciple of John, the person who wrote and was there at the bread of life discourse. Mm-hmm. And he speaks quite plainly that, that, that the Eucharist is the body blood of, of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, I desire you know, his body and his, and his blood, you know, so it's just there, there, there are just so many, it's hard when you, when you say Deacon Pedro, you know, just what is that? What else is there? There's just so much there. Yeah. It's interesting because you, you can't, I mean, it's not like a logical thing, but the fact, uh, the fact that the, the teaching has not changed and that it's been consistent. I mean, I, I guess that your main point is not that the church, you know, or the recent popes didn't invent this. This was not made up in Vatican II or anything. I mean, this has been right. a consistent teaching all throughout, and that itself is evidence, right? Yeah. Yes. If I could give one, one just kind of dawned on me when you said I mean, the, the universe of proofs that we have. One of the other ones actually is from the apostles in First uh, uh, Corinthians chapter 11. You know, St. Paul presents us the last supper scenario, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what happened. Jesus said, this is my body. Etc. But then right afterwards, he follows up with with words of wisdom saying about the Eucharist that you cannot receive it unworthily, that you must discern, discern beforehand that it is his body and blood. Why would this be if it was just a symbol? Absolutely. That's a good one. I like that yeah. one. Okay, there you go. So people that are listening, if you're having this conversation with others that maybe are not, maybe they're not Catholic, maybe they are Catholic and they don't quite get it. Um, that's a good place to start with scripture. Um, Deacon, thank you for uh, telling us a little bit about this. Thank you for writing the book, uh, For Real Christ's Presence in the Eucharist. Um, it's an important topic and I know that it's, as it was 2000 years ago, a hard teaching to understand, but a beautiful and important teaching that is integral to our faith. So thank you for uh, helping us understand it, Deacon. Oh, thank you for having me. Deacon Dennis Lambert. He's a permanent deacon in the Diocese of Phoenix. He is the author of The Table, but his new book, For Real Christ's Presence in the Eucharist, is published by Liguori. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to the rest of the show, go to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Ryan Tremblay, with his new single, Kindness and Love. By leaving his mark so deep in my heart He showed me the way To be who I am To make my own stand Through what I do and say I try to live His legacy Give 
back what he gave to me. Kindness, kindness and love. I try to live his legacy. Give the world what he gave to me. That was Ryan Tremblay with his new single, Kindness and Love. I met Ryan Tremblay at World Youth Day in Krakow. We reconnected again for World Youth Day in Panama. By then, Ryan had got married, became a father of triplets, had lost his sister to cancer, published his first album and EP, and now he has moved to Nashville and has several new singles that we've been listening to. So it's a good time to catch up with him. Um, Ryan Tremblay, it's good to see you, my friend. Welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. Thanks so much for having me, Deacon Pedro. It's always an honor to be on your show. So, um, you, uh, I do want to talk about the move to Nashville, but so that was all happening like during the pandemic. What was what was the last the last two years like for you guys? Yeah, so I originally planned on moving to Nashville in April of 2020. <laughs> and <laughs> good timing. I I was even going to move before the family, before my wife, before my kids, and and uh, just because there was a lot of musical momentum happening at that time yeah. around my my career. And then the pandemic struck, and so it became real evident that that would not be a good game plan to stick with. <laughs> that we should go ahead and and wait a little bit. Right. And so. We, we did just that. We, we, hang out, we hung out in Rhode Island uh, for, uh, well, I suppose it was 
2020, right, the spring of 2020, all the way to the summer of 2022 that we finally actually all then made the move together to Nashville, which in hindsight, uh, that was the better way to go about it. And and we're so uh, thrilled to be here now, finally. So what was, I mean, your kids were little, I, 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 you'll have to tell me how old they are now, the triplets, because um, sure. I looked at the picture and they looked a lot bigger than I thought that they would be. I guess time flies. Um, <laughs> yes, it, it does. It does. So they are seven years old now. Oh my gosh. So, yeah, that's right. I think when we saw each other, uh, well, well, when we first met one another in, yeah. in Poland at World Youth Day, they were just a year old. Yeah, and then when we saw each other again in uh, yeah. World Youth Day in, in Panama, twenty nineteen, there, uh, they they were four years old, and now they're seven. So they're seven, it's, so it's, it's crazy. I guess you guys just hunkered down through the through the pandemic. They were in school or not in school, and um, how yeah, was that? Just, yeah, they were in school. It was crazy when the pandemic struck because. Uh, we were just starting to feel somewhat of a relief uh, with them uh, being taken care of uh, either by our, our nanny at the time or uh, the, the school that they were in. Um, and then when all that support kind of dropped because everybody, you know, hunkered down, yeah. it, it was it was real apparent that uh, we had not escaped <laughs> the the uh, chaos of having triplets. It, it, yeah. We felt like they were newborns all over again, really just being wow. stuck in the house. And uh, but it was it was great to to go through that time uh, together. And now as a family, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And and now it's 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 great to be finally on the other side of that. Um, but for me, professionally speaking, there was a yep. lot of li- live streams that I was okay. doing, and then remote recording uh, with right. people in Nashville, uh, headed, <laughs> headed to Nashville was recorded remotely, at least the instruments, really? uh, kindness and love was remote. Uh, and so, yeah, uh, all so, that was being, so, well, let's, I, I did want to ask you about that because a lot of, uh, most of the songwriters that I've spoken to this year have said that, that those two years were actually very, they were difficult, but they were fruitful in that, even though you weren't performing, um, you were actually creating. So you you had the same experience? Definitely, definitely. And and it was a great time to offer up in song all my hopes and dreams for what could maybe happen once this pandemic uh, came, you know, came to, came to pass. And so uh, it's it was fun to sing about heading to Nashville, even yeah. though cl- clearly we were not <laughs> heading to Nashville. Yeah, that's fun. At the moment. And, and yeah, a lot of songs came out of that season and uh, I'm really happy and excited to be able to share those songs with people, not only in 2022, but into 2023 as well. So thinking back at your, your, your EP trust, mm. that's like packed with a lot of very kind of powerful, uh, if I can say uh, uh, tracks and the music that you're writing now, these three or the two that we've heard so far, and we're going to end the, the show with another one. Um, has anything changed for you in terms of what you're writing about or your writing process or or kind of what, where you are in terms of your own, own journey? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, uh, one of the big reasons to to move to Nashville believe it or not was the drumming community yeah. um, I've I've as a drummer myself uh, and sort of myself aiming to be a Christian Phil Collins if you will uh, yeah. being able to 
present that sort of live show to people. Um, Jim Riley, who plays drums for Rascal Flatts, uh, Rich Redmond, who plays drums for Jason Aldean. I've befriended these gentlemen. And uh, what's been great is that they have been able to uh, really give me encouragement. And, and specifically, Jim Riley from Rascal Flatts, he's been able to uh, take a listen to uh, a lot of the songs that I've written and put a country pop oh, yeah. spin, spin on them. And so that's actually who Headed to Nashville is produced by and also Kindness and Love. And so now you can start to hear, uh, really for me, Deacon Pedro, something I feel is sort of a coming home to a genre that I wasn't necessarily thinking about before. I, I don't know why I hadn't thought about, about yeah. it before, but for me, the the sounds of dobro, uh, fiddle, uh, mandolin, uh, of course, acoustic guitar, anything that lends it to itself to country music produced in a modern way, that to me uh, is is like coming home. So really? now, yeah, now to be here in Nashville uh, and having that uh, in my cans when I'm recording or eventually live, uh, it's 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 really great. And I think the Christian industry in general has really we've experienced a crossover of country and Christian. It's always been there. They've, they've talked about how those styles mm -hmm. kind of complement one another, but mm -hmm. specifically, I think with Chris Tomlin and friends and releases like that, where you hear this country Christian crossover, it's really popular. So for me, I just can't wait to get out there and offer this new fresh sound that by the way, sounds great uh, in, in a Catholic church. It's yes. I mean, when you, when you think about those instruments, just country instruments, they, they reverberate, just beautifully anywhere they are so uh i'm excited just to bring this offering yeah. to people and, and be traveling from nashville the heart of it all yeah wow okay i'm gonna have to listen to to the songs again with that with that in mind um so you've you've been releasing singles i know that you sent me three i don't know if there are more is the hope that there's going to be an album eventually are you right continually writing more stuff Yes, definitely. And the collaborations, especially now that I'm okay. in Music City, are opening up more and more and more. I'm working with uh, Seth Mosley and X O'Connor, who produce uh, many uh, albums and, and singles and releases of For King and Country. Mm -hmm. So they, they are taking my uh, Christian Phil Collins vision uh, and, and bringing that to life in the studio. So this week, actually, I'll be in the studio recording a new single called Glow in the Dark with them. And I actually am going to feature the Holy Rosary Academy Children's Choir. It's a private school here in Nashville uh, that my family is affiliated with. Okay. And so uh, the Children's Choir is going to accompany me on that song. Oh, how uh, fun. Produced by Seth and X. And so I'm really excited about that. That's going to be coming out in 2023. And I also have a song called Beacon Street that I wrote uh, uh, about a very special place to me back in Rhode Island uh, that really taught me how to see the light in the darkest of times. Uh, and so that's, again, called Beacon Street. That's going to be coming out in 2023. That's produced as well by Jim Riley. Um, and then I have uh, a couple of other fun songs that I'm going to okay. be releasing as well. So you've yeah. been busy, keeping yourself busy. That's that's good. And, and lots of creative juices flowing. Sounds like it. Um, yes. And I know that you've got your 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 boys are also singing, and I know your wife also sings. So maybe maybe next time you're on the show, we can uh, feature the whole family. I think that would be fun. That would be great. My hope is that we can all take the trip to World Youth Day this time around as oh. a family, and I could feature my wife. She has a single coming out. Uh, the Ave Maria will be coming out uh, okay. on December yes. 16th. And then my boys, 
we have to have more songs recorded by them, of course, other than the Chipmunk song, Christmas Don't Be Late, which is has been released. So but much fun. Yes, yes. We're, we're going to be, as a family, we're going to be touring this December. Okay. And uh, so it's exciting, Deacon Pedro, because that means that the foundation through the yeah. Christmas season is yes. being being established for us to go out and do the family thing, you know, and 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 hopefully inspire generations. And and my hope really is that the boys can, um, you know, grow up uh, in the trenches with me, see how it's done. And they'll have this uh, hopefully ability when they're older, if they decide to go into music and ministry where they say, OK, this is going to be a continuation of what dad started for us, as opposed to how do we do this? Where do we begin? I can share hopefully some of my you know fan base with them and uh that, that'd be my gift back to them the next that would generation. be great okay looking forward to all of that ryan <laughs> so good to reconnect uh glad you guys are doing well and that you're enjoying nashville and uh i'm looking forward to the to the next couple songs that are going to make this album so that we can get you guys back on the show thank you so much deacon pedro you can learn more about Ryan Tremblay, about his music, and how to bring him to your event at his website, ryantremblaymusic.com. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. Um, if you missed any part of the interview, you can head on over to our website, esselmedia.org podcast. All our programs are archived there. And here now to take us out is Ryan Tremblay with his new single, Without a Doubt. I cried out to the silence looking for a sign some hope to pull the light through and bring me back to life with the listening to Ryan Tremblay with his new single, Without a Doubt, and that will take us to the end of the program. Remember that you can stream or podcast all our Salt and Light Hour programs at our website, slmedia.org. Just look for podcasts. You can also find the Salt and Light Hour Catholic Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to give us a good review and lots of stars so that others can also find the show. You can follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Look for Deacon Pedro. You can also email me. I love emails. Pedro at slmedia.org. Next week, we'll be speaking with feminist professor Abigail Favalli about her book, The Genesis of Gender. It's going to be a good conversation, so I hope that you can join us for that next week. And remember, as always, let's continue to pray for peace in Ukraine peace in Nicaragua and peace in Iran and peace in all those places where there is conflict and stay safe continue praying for each other 
and continue having a blessed Advent season. And Viva la Guadalupana on December 12th. I'm Deacon Pedro, and this has been the Salt and Light Hour. Without a doubt.